you for listening to Deep Tissues. I'm your host, Sasha Gray. I am also a host of the show. My name is David Guy Levy. That other guy. Our special guest on this episode is Rodney Asher. Rodney Asher. Hey, guys. Welcome, Rodney. Thanks. Glad to be here. So this week, uh, Marcia is working on Rodney. I will be worked on by Ariana and Sandra as Sasha. Sandra. Hey, ladies. Hello. Hello. How are you? (laughs) Fabulous. Wonderful. Ariana, is this a new table? Uh, no. Does it feel like New headrest, maybe? It might feel cushy. Is that how you flirt, uh... David? (laughs) (laughs) I'm Rodney. Hi, Rodney. I'm Marcia. Hey, Marcia. There we go. Okay, so what kind of massage are you looking for today? Um, my back, my back is still pretty um, tight and sore, so like, you, know, oh, I'm good. you can get in there a little bit, I guess. Okay. And, um, well, I do have um, a lot of, I've been having issues with my shoulder. I actually have um, bursitis in my left but shoulder. full disclosure, I had food poisoning yesterday, so. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm getting, I'm, I'm about getting over it, but it still gives me a little, a little trouble. All right, so Rodney, I just overheard during this whole thing that you have a prob- uh, problem in your shoulder. Yeah, it's, a, it's the uh, glamorous shoulder uh, issue of bursitis. What is bursitis, may I ask? Well, you know, it's basically when you lift your arm up above your head, it hurts. Ow. Um, I think it's brought on by um, carrying a certain three-year-old uh, oh, on top of you. adorable. That bursitis right? is adorable. Yeah. <laughs> The compromise is someone else lifts him up and plops him down, and he's okay. It's only the extension that hurts. All right, Rodney. Well, welcome. Thanks. We uh, have a tradition uh, that we want to start. What's bothering you this week? Is there anything happening in your life that you'd like to discuss with us? (laughs) Sasha laughs, but she knows this question's been coming the whole time. (laughs) It's actually just physical stuff, you know? Um, (laughs) Just my darn shoulder, just my lower back and my and my um, neck. It's just spending, you know, all day, every day in front of the computer. Um, good essential oils for that. You want to put some deep relief holder? Sure. And then when you're... You know, I mean, I'd like to be complaining about something a little more profound, but... At um, least, you know, when you're not doing that, you have a three-year-old to lug around yeah. for exercise. Um, but, you know, mostly things are going okay, so... Um, you know, and I don't let the news bug me too much, so... How about you, Sasha? Is anything bothering you this week? Yeah. Anything in your life that you just... It's going to be kind of hard to talk. <laughs> but it felt so good. It was just impossible to talk. Uh, what's bothering me? Well, as you guys might have heard me whispering over here, I had food poisoning. And oh, it's the worst. So I'm just feeling a little slow, and it's kind of hard to, uh, you know... Go from a week and a half ago getting in a car accident to now getting food poisoning. Oh no! So I feel your pain, Rodney. Of yeah, I think you feel it more than I do. The physical <laughs> bullshit overtaking your mental state. Just you know, I want to work and focus, and when these hiccups happen, sometimes it makes it more difficult. Huh? huh. <sighs> I'll tell you what's bothering me. I've been getting a lot of friend Facebook invites to play this thing called Candy Crush. <laughs> Uh, I just got one when, when, as I shut off my phone. Yeah, you shut off your phone, right? Yeah. I'm never going to say yes. Oh. And uh, I don't even know what this thing is, but no, I do not want to play Candy Crush. 
nor do I want to play Princess in the Castle or... I never played Farmville. Yeah. Farmville was the first ignore. <laughs> so, uh, did you, what, do you have you played, Rodney? Do you know what it is? No. I have no idea. Do any of you ladies know? Because I know Sasha doesn't know. Yeah. All right. Well, that bothers me, too. If all these people are playing it and I still don't know what it is, but I get like four invites a week. I know a lot of people who do play it, but... Why That's do they say anything? Harder. No, I rock it like pretty the, hard. It's oh. the next wave of how Angry Birds was huge now. So, so William, you just said uh, through the from the booth, you you play this game all the time. Can you explain quickly just what the game is? It's a three in a row type thing. Like that. What that? The, what does that mean? Like like tic tac toe. Yeah, I mean it's. Not like tic tac toe, but just like I guess there was another one like bejeweled or something like that, where you just get three of the same things in a row by swapping things back and forth. And then does it disappear, and you have to do a new one? It's just kind of yeah, it's just kind of a mindless yeah Tetris type okay thing. And things go boom. Things you know you can there's there's some strategic things you can play with. It's just a fun waste of time. Is there candy involved? (laughs) There's video candy. Yeah. Well, William, that sounds like a horrible waste of time. <laughs> That's bothering me. Candy Crush is bothering David. You're so judgmental. What's it to you if William gets satisfaction out of playing the You're idiotic right. game? You are right. <laughs> you know what? I'm sorry, William. I, uh, I was being a hater. Whatever happened to Snake? They should bring back Snake. Snake? Remember on the old Oh, Nokia on the phone? phone. Yeah. There's a great YouTube video, I <laughs> which I will have to now post in the in the Twitter feed, and if I can remember to uh, Facebook, uh, where someone did snakes so well that did it was like watching someone win March Madness at the buzzer in the end of the quarter. You don't even know what you're talking about anymore. <laughs> I do, because the snake what do you mean, got so what do you long mean that what he had to use every pixel on his screen to play it. I would like to see this. I will post this. A good name for that game would be Too Big to Fail. Too Big to Fail? <laughs> it's a great title. And ultimately, you do. That's the, that's the, that's the thing. He got to the kill screen, which is even cooler, because you can see like the, the machine say, well, that's it. <laughs> Rodney, uh, we... Uh, as we like to do every time we, we, we have someone on, refresh ourselves. We've both seen it, but refresh ourselves with Room 237 again this week. For anyone who's listening, Room 237 is this awesome documentary uh, where Rodney – well, Rodney, you pitch it more than I do, but what did you do? Well, you know, it takes a look at a half dozen people who are sort of obsessed with The Shining – they kind of approach it like the Da Vinci Code and find all sorts of, you know, kind of deep hidden meanings buried within it. And, you know, it's kind of an entree for them to talk about history, mythology, conspiracy theory, and oh, um, the way that, yeah, in the way that The Shining, you know, sort of has very strange personal you know, meanings to them and then, you know, ultimately to us. Yeah. And you chose, was there five or six or seven, a dozen you said? Uh, I said a half dozen, half but, dozen? but okay. there were five, six if you include me. So, okay, so there were six. And so one that Sasha had heard of, and I and I kind of kicking myself that I didn't go look into it more so I'd have some more information for you, was Sasha, will you explain? Well, I had 
when I when I first heard about your film, I was like, oh, it's like all the YouTube shit I've watched, except put together very thoughtfully and um, more bearable to watch because <laughs> some for some <laughs> well some of what's being said by these conspiracy theorists I find fascinating um, even just from a historical point of view mm-hmm. some of it I think is just laughable and then other parts I'm like okay I could I could see that I could see that um, like the moon landing is probably the one that I'm most fascinated by it's my favorite that I could think I I I could probably fit in there as a conspiracy theorist saying, like, okay, I could see how he would have been a part of that. But uh, speaking of Kubrick, because I had watched several of these YouTube videos and and videos on Kubrick online, there was al- there's always, and there still is, a lot of things that in conspiracy theorists that say he was homosexual. And so I heard about that, but I was trying to say, okay, well, why was... You know, I was curious, mm-hmm. like, oh, why didn't that make it into the film? But... Is it because that's less to do with the film and more to do with the individual? So it didn't really relate to the film you're trying to make? Well, you know, there was a certain point where I, I had to kind of come to um, come to peace with the fact that I wasn't going to be able to get everything in. Yeah. And, you know, that idea actually, I think, are you talking about, like, Brett Easton Ellis was writing about that. Yeah, he was too, yeah. Yeah, and in a way, I in when he started writing about it, I think the movie had already come out or it was already finished. Yeah. And I briefly toyed with the idea of having him, of talking to him as a special feature for the DVD, oh, cool. which would have been fun. But I didn't find a ton of other stuff about it. Um, and it didn't tie into some other greater things. Yeah. Um, you know, again... The, a question that comes up with a lot of these people in, in a lot of these ideas, you know, is how much of themselves people are seeing reflected back at them. Right. Um, but, you know, that also begs another question that if you shared something in common with him, you might recognize something that somebody else wouldn't. Not because you're only seeing, you know, your own idea back, but that you and he share something in common. Right. You know, I mean, that's part of the World War II thing is, you know, um, Professor Jeffrey Cox is talking about these allusions to World War II and the Holocaust that he sees inside of the film. And part of his explanation of that is, you know, the evidence there is about how interested in the subject, you know, Stanley Kubrick was. So, you know, I actually like that scene in Cruising with the... uh, with the hankies, you know, like there's, it's a code, it's something there are, you know, people use all sorts of codes yeah. that like, that people like them recognize, but that the general public doesn't Wouldn't even, know. doesn't even know that there's a message at all, let yeah. alone understand it. The, I don't remember the woman's name, but the, the lady who was talking about the Minotaur and she said, oh, it's a Minotaur in the ski <laughs> poster. That one I think bothered me the most, but it's. Well, it didn't bother like, me, but I think it's it sent the message of the movie too, which was we don't necessarily agree with the people we're talking to uh, all the time about what they're saying here. Because I felt like to me that was an obvious wow, you're really grasping at straws theory. Well, I mean, I I try not to be judgmental about any of this stuff, and I can very quickly see that a mythological um, understanding of the story, a, a mythological look at the movie, makes sense. You know, oh, with the yeah. maze, with the labyrinth, um, 
that is an element that he introduced into the movie. You know, there's no maze in the book. Oh, that is true. He right. did introduce the maze to the Shining. You know, because that wasn't in the book. And, and the, the Minotaur is a key symbol of a maze. So and the posters are very sense to continue that work. You know, and the poster is a skiing poster, and it's actually kind of a strange thing to be well, in that, the hotel, considering that it's a summer resort. Yeah. You know, you might say they're both in Colorado, but. You know, if you're up at Big Bear, you wouldn't necessarily at a resort. You wouldn't necessarily see a poster for surfing in Malibu. Well, I mean, to be fair, I've I've seen when someone points to a cloud and says that looks like a tree. I go, oh yeah, I can see that. And when I was looking at the ski poster, I was like, I don't see a fucking Minotaur. You know. You know, one thing I've enjoyed is that I've heard each of the each of the commentators, each of the five people described as either the most or the least believable, you know, from different from different folks. And you know So there's a debate around that. Oh sure. And the and the yardstick of, you know, I, and I think it gets into interesting questions of even, you know, what does it mean to be right in this context? Like if the only thing you'll accept is a um a symbol that you can verify that Kubrick put into the film for that purpose and only that purpose that's going to be a very small number of things that you're going to be allowed to consider legitimate. Well, I, I have I mean, a bold question then. What piece in the movie or pieces uh, uh, did you find yourself not only helping you know, explain it through the film but also thinking, yeah, I actually – I totally think this is true? Well, that would be cheating. I know. <laughs> I knew it was a bold question because I know you probably – don't want to analyze any yeah. of the movie for anybody. Well, you know, I tried to believe everything as I was, I mean, I tried to be an advocate for each point of view as I was working in the mall and knowing that, you know, and purposefully that in introducing different ideas that would contradict one another um, in allowing for, you know, that, that complexity to kind of stay there and that kind of impossible challenge to put them together, though. I would get kind of excited when they would unexpectedly come together. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I met the moon landing guy at a festival, Jay Widener, and I had a really interesting conversation with him because he said, you know, I never bought any of that was World this War II. Before the film or after no, the film? No, this was after the film. Yeah. This was for a screening. And he said, you know, I never bought any of that World War II stuff. But as I continued to think about it, I realized that um, – the moon landing in the space program was designed or, um, you know, it had its origins in um, patriated German scientists who built the American space program after the war. So it all, you know, kind of converges at a certain point. Interesting. I think there's convenient things too. I think just because... Space is so unknown. Space, yeah, I mean... (laughs) Well, you know, it's like, well, we kept going to space, and we have a lot more better footage, so I can understand maybe the camera wasn't working, and they needed an iconic moment, and they had something to back up, or I don't know. Well, I mean, it's a more conservative um, reading on the same symbols, meaning the same thing, too, which is that... There's pattern recognition, too, in humans. Yeah, well, in the, well, there's pattern recognition from the audience, and then there's pattern making, you know, by the filmmaker, uh-huh. or and sometimes it's on purpose, or sometimes it's not, like if... Um, you're watching Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, and you're listening to the DVD commentary, as I recommend you do, um, you'll realize that although that movie is just loaded with homoerotic imagery, 
the director claims to have been completely unaware of it <laughs> while he was making it, but that doesn't mean that stuff's not in the film and that it's not... Because if it's been interpreted, it's there. It exists Well, now. you know, I mean, you know, the audience brings a lot to it, but, I mean, man, if you see that locker room scene and don't see it, <laughs> there's something wrong with you. Well, well, your film then basically also has a thesis in itself then, which is there's a point where the art itself is no longer controlled by the artist. Sure, or it's a question that gets asked, you know. Yeah. Who's responsible, you know, who gets to decide what something means? Is it the artist or the um, or the audience? Or the person who's affected by it. Who, who gets to decide what something means? You know, I don't think Martin Scorsese does, it meant, it meant that um, Taxi Driver was supposed to... Um, oh, wait, who did he shoot at? Um, <laughs> that guy shoot after watching Taxi Driver? Martin Scorsese? No, he didn't. You know... Um, oh, the DP. Uh, Hinkley. He tried to assassinate... Didn't he try to assassinate the president? Oh. Um, oh Ray, yeah. Was it the guy who shot Reagan? Oh, the guy who watched the movie. And yeah. didn't he, like, oh, stalk Jodie Foster? Yeah. Yeah. So there's Jodie Foster stalking and then an assassination attempt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't think You're I said that in a way that makes sense name, because... Which is, you know, good. <laughs> because why give him any But I don't think Taxi time. Driver meant kill the president. <laughs> but... Yeah. You know, that was someone else's takeaway. That's interesting. Um, I have a question. Just, I'm curious. Like you said, you had to sort of choose what to include and in, in what yeah. to leave out in the documentary. Sure. But what was that process like for you um, in pre-production and while filming? Like, were there things you ended up cutting out, or did you try and structure um, your story around the people you ended up most interested by yeah well me and my producer tim um tim kirk we kind of sat down and we did a re- we we read all we could you know for six months eight months you know and try to get our heads around most all the significant things that have been said around the movie and you know some of them were very obvious like you know the moon landing or the native american yeah. symbols and who would be the spokesperson for those ideas but there was also things like a lot of people do numerology, you know, adding uh-huh. up the numbers 2, 3, and 7 and the recurring 42s and 12s and, you know, trying to find a spokesman for that idea. Um, so in a way, some of that was cast, like trying to find different voices for different um, major ideas. Oh, interesting. Um, you know, and then th- unexpected things would happen as we would go, you know, like I was talking to, um, actually the writer Jonathan Lethem has written a lot about um, Kubrick, so I thought he might be an interesting person to say something about The Shining. And, you know, we didn't interview him, but ultimately he's the guy who turned me on to those forwards-backwards screenings oh, wow. that okay. they were doing in Brooklyn that um, John Phil Ryan was doing. And that kind of amazed me because, you know, there's sort of a subplot in the movie about the changing ways that people watch this stuff, you know, from the theater to VHS and cable TV to um, ultimately being able to manipulate the film yourself online, you know, digitally and to reformat it to see see it different ways. So that kind of seemed the culmination of that thread. But I actually didn't discover him until, you know, near the end of the project. Oh, wow. That's cool. And you got to, so Rodney and I have known each other uh, for a little while, and 
uh, we occasionally have the pleasure of each other's company at lunch. And and uh, you were telling me Ouch. a while ago that you were invited to speak on a panel at the Overlook Hotel. Did you go to that? Did that happen? Yeah, that's actually where I met Jay Widener, the um, you know the moon landing guy. Because you know I, I hadn't met him in person. None of the I didn't interview anybody in person. I just mailed them yeah. digital audio recorders and talked on the phone. Um, so it it was the Stanley Hotel actually. Stanley Hotel, yeah. which is where Stephen King stayed in Colorado that inspired the book. Um, and it's only one of a thousand coincidences that the hotel was named Stanley, like Stanley Kubrick. Um, and those kind of synchronicities just swarm all over the movie. But yeah, no, it was amazing. I went out there for the Stanley Fest. It was kind of a new horror movie festival that they do. And was on a panel with Jay Widener, Mika Garris, who directed the TV version and has done a lot of Stephen King stuff and knows him pretty well. And um, Leon Vitale, who was Kubrick's assistant and coached Danny during the uh, course of that movie. And he also played Lord Ooh. Bullingdon in Barry Lyndon. That Danny was so good. So he coached Danny? He was the acting coach? Yeah, he was the acting coach. Wow, and wow. He did a lot of research. You know, He was really, like, he just was Kubrick's right-hand man for years and years. I was just rewatching it recently. It's like... That that was an amazing performance that kid gave. Yeah, yeah, well, and if you look at Barry Lyndon again, he's so amazing himself as Lord Bullingdon. Yeah. The son that just hates Ryan O'Neill. What's he what's what's his name again? Sorry? Leon Vitali. Okay. And is what's he doing now? Um, I think he's uh, producing a film and acting. Oh, he's cool. out here now. So you get to go to this panel and then did you get to stay at the Stanley or Yeah, yeah, I got to stay there for like two nights. Is it creepy? Yeah, was it awesome <laughs> as well? I didn't think it was that creepy. We went yeah. on a ghost tour at like two in the morning, you know, where there's like a tunnel underneath and a and a spiritualist would try to talk to the ghosts and get the doors to open and close. Um and that was fun. They didn't sh did they shoot at the Stanley at all? They shot the TV version there. Oh, okay. The the movie itself was all shot in the UK. Yeah, the, at the they built these studio. giant sets. Yeah, and then there's stuff, you know, in your movie where someone is so obsessed with continuity that, you know, like, oh, it's Kubrick, he made two thousand and one, he gets to control everything. And I and I was just thinking like, yeah, but he's still a filmmaker with tools and sometimes your tools are you know, your your audience doesn't retain every piece of information and you can make little jumps and make sure, like, the back of a hotel doesn't have to look like the front. Yeah, you know? well, you, your take on the, your take on, you know, these things is different from other folks. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind but of... But I'm right, I, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'm kind of... There, there, there sure are... If those are all mistakes, there sure are a lot of them. And I'm actually pretty attracted to the idea of introducing mistakes on purpose to sound kind of dissonant notes. Yeah. You're very well... You're sort of like the guardian of the, of, of, of the interpretation of The Shining because you, I get to, I think, really validate any personal... Uh, interpretations. You well, sort of you cheer them all on. <laughs> well, it, it, it's. I think it's only interesting to compare these things if you know if it's a fair fight. If all of them, you know, get the same kind of attention and respect. You know, if one idea is presented as the right one and the others um, is wrong, then you know that's no challenge for the audience. Well, good. I'm very into that. Um, but we're dying to know what you're working on right now. We saw. Uh, Something called the nightmares on IMDb. Are you talking about this yet, or you yeah, want well, to keep in, it in general? Wraps? I mean, it's oh, 
It's the new one. It's a it's a documentary we're shooting now about um, sleep paralysis. Mm. You know about Aww. it? Has it happened to you? Oh, yes. Wow, well, all the wellness experts in the room were like, ooh. <laughs> what, was it, what, was it, what was it like? What happened to you? Sleep paralysis? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, you can't move. Mm -hmm. And then it's, you can't open your eyes and you can hear things. You don't know if you're in sleep mode or what. And then basically entities, right? Did well, you, let's ask the expert. Well, well, did did you see any, did did you see anything? No. Uh, well, I, when I was a kid, I used to have it worse, mm -hmm. and I felt an entity. Yeah, on yeah. top of you trying to pressure down and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's like very real. I mean, Jesse's had that happen to him a bunch of times too. It's um, it's like a basically an entity trying to enter your body. They're trying to like you know because they're they have no bodies. They're like running around trying to find a body to inhabit. And because um, it's such an amazing experience to be in a human body. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's Ow. not my brain short-circuiting. <laughs> no. No, that shit is real. That's like, that's the kind of horror that I'm okay with. Because it's not really horror. It's like just real, you know, like ghost story. See, I'm thing. the opposite. I hate any horror movie that calls itself a horror movie that uses ghosts as supernatural. I'm like, this is bullshit. I don't believe in this. I'm out. Really? But, like, if there's something where, like, there's a real danger that could happen on any planet, you know, I'll get scared about. <laughs> but anyways, I'm already being, like, biased about uh, well, sleep. What is anyways, sleep yeah. So you okay. explain it, Rodney. Well, and I think they were doing a pretty good job. It's, you know, depending on who you talk to, um, you know, it, there are different places to go with it. But it's a sleep disorder where you... Either while you're falling asleep or waking up, you find yourself frozen from the eyeballs down. Wow. You almost you often go into a a real blistering panic. Your body often tingles with you know sort of like electrical discharge, and you hear voices and you often see some sort of intruder. Um, sometimes human, sometimes not. Is there an age group that does this mostly? It's most common in your early 20s, but it happens to some people in there as kids and others, you know, into their you know, 40s or 50s. And so, I mean, the obvious comes to mind is that a lot of this could be just, you know, trauma being blocked out by the brain. And to me, because I'm very Western Hemisphere kind of dude, mm -hmm. but uh, does, does your uh, does your movie sort of address all these different uh, uh opinions on this subject or does it, does it just explain what it is mostly or well i mean what we do is it's, it, it's mostly a as sort of a subjective look where people who've experienced it very dramatically talk about their talk about their experiences and what they think um what wow, they think so is really happening really to them first-hand stories too yeah yeah you know, so we've been flying around the country a little bit and <laughs> Tonight, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and 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 David, I sleep deprivation guy. And David, I hear you come to us. David, I hear you coming from you know strictly a medical psychological place with it. Yeah. But but I mean, um, I, there's, I, I there's can a, wrap there's, my head around someone's story if, if they can convince me. Sure. Well, I mean, I, it happened to me. You know. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I, but I, like, already, like, you've been vouched for in my head, you know? Like, I'm like, oh, I vouch for Rodney. Okay. Yeah. Oh. He did it. Uh, so, I mean, it happened to me, so it's absolutely real. And the question is, 
you know, what are these things that you see and where do they come from? And for me, and what, you know, maybe any, what point between humans, because we have a, a God complex too. Like at what point is something spiritual? Or what point is something just physical? Yeah. Well, and for me, any answer is pretty interesting, yeah. whether it's some, whether it's something that's generated internally and like what that says either about your personal psychology or if it's some kind of, you know, deep reptile brain, you know, race memory. Um, that's pretty fascinating. I mean, the fact that a lot of people see the same kind of things suggests that it's, you know, bigger than any one person. You know, a lot of folks see it as some kind of heightened sense of awareness, you know, that when you're in this panic mode, your brain might activate something, you know, that happens like in near-death experiences. But, you know, I, I saw, you know, a shadow person, which is something that a lot of people have seen, you know, kind of a three-dimensional um, living shadow man. Um, the other common ones are, ouch, a, um, <laughs> you know, one wearing a cloak, kind of like the Grim Reaper. What? Yeah. <laughs> Ow. I was just, uh, and one with a hat, kind of like Freddy. Oh, hell no. no. <laughs> well, and Freddie was inspired by sleep paralysis. Yeah. I always thought that because I actually used to draw oh. these pictures of like, you know, oh, now I'm getting like flashbacks of me like drawing pictures of shadow people. And they'd always have like a Freddie a Freddy hat. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. He's just called Hat Man. Yeah, I've literally, as a, I have pictures I can, I can find and produce that from my youth of me drawing this shadowy figure. Yeah, with where, how did it get into your head? Probably because I watched Freddy Krueger. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, no, or, you know, like, that's how did I get in my head? If it's someone else's head, maybe it's something that as the human brain evolves, it keeps on to that quality of, of mm -hmm. subconsciously being a part of you. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, when you squint your eyes and you're sleeping and one chemical goes from one place and it's a common shape that you might be experiencing or, or awake, obviously, because you were awake when you saw these people. But I don't know. Like, I, 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 have, I have so much experience with anxiety that, you know. You're a prime candidate. You, yeah. Do you sleep on your – you don't sleep on your back, do you? Uh, I, I swap around. I start on my back if anyone's curious. And then I just oh. sort of like an hour later go, every night I say, tonight I'm going to sleep on my back. And then like 20 minutes later I'm like Well, where I'm coming from is it's more common if you sleep on your back. Okay. And if you're suffering anxiety and if you have irregular – Sleep well, when patterns. I used to get panic attacks, and I still do occasionally, it's always from a sleeping on my back position. Weird. And I always jump up, and I have to, like, go, go, go. So that's interesting. Yesterday, when I was suffering, I could have said there was a demon in my brain. But that's... From your food you know, poisoning? <laughs> it was insane. I literally walked out. I tried to go to the bathroom to puke, and nothing came out. And... I walked towards my bed, and I collapsed on the floor with my barf bucket. Awesome story. And there's just this piercing ringing sound in my head. And the next thing I know, my boyfriend is slapping me in the face, and I'm clear on the other side of the room next to my dog bed. <laughs> and Whoa. he's like, wake up. What, what the hell? And he's like, he's literally having to smack me awake. And as he woke me, I realized I wasn't breathing. 
And then that kind of happened throughout the rest of the morning and afternoon where I would go, you know, I, I moved downstairs to the couch and I, uh, I would start to nod out and then I would find myself not breathing and have to wake back up. So that was scary. Have you had that not breathing issue before? I've had it once or twice, like eight, no, like seven, eight years ago. And it what you know, I was really violently ill yesterday. Um, and that's what I attribute it to, but all the other, like it happened like twice, well, you were quite also, a long time ago, and it was it was definitely from stress. You were you had food poisoning, so were you like you know fading in and out of consciousness, or? I because, was, yeah, no, but I I would that's catch, the Freddy Krueger thing. He was always based on dreams, like so. There's got to be some some sort of place that it shouts to me that in a waking or sleep, like coming to a waking state, is this where it always happens, or is it? Oh, is it ever just, like, I'm having lunch at my desk, and there's a shadow person? Like, you've never heard that story. Oh, does it ever happen during the day? Yeah, like, is it a waking state kind of a phenomenon? Well, typically it happens as you're going to sleep or coming out. They they call it a hypnagogic trance or a hypnopompic. So that, like, focuses, like, all the data to one moment to to start exploring that, right? Although what's interesting is, you know, having read up, as much of the science as I could, and there's not a ton out there, though. There's a good book or two. You know, as I talk to different people, none of them fit, you know, into any neat categories. There's always a spillover, you know, and some people who have seen unusual things, you know, during their waking life or, um, you know, even, you know, people who work on the crew, there's a guy who would sort of have had a strange con- Consecutive experience where he would have sleep paralysis, and then he would, and then after he got up, he would see like little gremlins sitting on his furniture. What the fuck? And there's a painting, like from the eighteen hundreds, called the Nightmare. I'm sure you've seen it. It's kind of a famous painting of like a woman sprawled on a couch on a on a couch or a bed with a little gremlin sitting on her chest, oh. and a horse kind of poking out from the shadows. And it's often used to illustrate. But uh, if it's a common paralysis. thing, like if gremlins and the Freddy Krueger hat are yeah. common things, it's it's in a, some sort of connected consciousness. You know, um, that's, that's what one, brings it the spiritual into it. Well, that's one explanation. You know, it's kind of like if you read about like DMT experiences where, you know, people take that psychedelic drug and then they see the same sort of, you know, creatures, um, you know, in kind of this, you know, weird interdimensional landscape that they go to for 10 minutes and come back or out. Or just the action and reaction of what a human brain would do on DMT. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's surprising that it would be so similar, you know, which opens yeah. up all sorts of conversations about, you know, is this a hallucination or is this a different state of consciousness where you're aware of things um, that that are real but that you don't usually have access to? Just, the best, do you, the do you have stories that, that go into um, as part of that and where um, people are astral traveling? Or oh, yeah, it's very it's, – it, it's, I would say 75% of the people I've talked to have also had out-of-body experiences as part of it. And sometimes when they leave their body, that's when they interact with these intruders. Yeah. So you're 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 in production. You're not. You're still. You're still doing we're, it. Yeah, we're still shooting interviews, and we'll be you know staging some reenactments. You know, uh, a little further down the road. That's cool. That's awesome. I'll watch it. All we, right. We uh we're watching uh, the imposter recently, weren't we? Oh, that's oh great. My God, that and was great. The filmmaking of I love when someone you know 
takes the time and the care to to shoot something to support the magnitude of the story they're telling in a documentary, you know, when you can reenact, you know, the imposter coming home. The imposter is a story that, without spoiling it, because every 20 minutes something happens that changes the narrative, uh, but it starts out as a uh, kid disappearance in, in the 90s, and four years later, a, a kid with blonde hair and blue eyes from Texas goes missing, and four years later, a uh, 23-year-old with brown eyes and brown hair claimed to be him, and and it wasn't, and came back to the States, and the family was like, yep, that's our son, and they just all took him in and wanted him to be the son. And then it goes off a cliff into madness. But, uh, you know, it's one of those movies where, you know, the story was so extraordinary and the subject matter is so interesting that to actually take the care and to go shoot reenactments of the imposter, you know, in Texas, in San Antonio, waking up in a whole new world and and going to Spain and just the, the suspense of the story being shown in, in original images. Uh, is that, is, are you going to go that crazy? Oh, we're going to go completely crazy. Nice. Um, yeah. And The Imposter is an amazing movie. I just saw actually a really interesting, like a 10-minute video essay about it. That, really? Yeah, well, what they, what they pay attention to, and it's really smart, is that when they shoot the interviews, all the witnesses and members of the family are framed to one side looking off camera at their interviewer. But the imposter himself uh, is looking straight is is right in the middle and he's looking yeah. right into the lens. Yeah. And the um theory that, you know, the guy who made the essay had was that I mean, the fact that, you know, this guy's not really the son is, you know, told at the beginning. That's not a spoiler. But, like, halfway through, he has an accusation about the family that's kind of a game changer. Yeah. Um, so what, what where this guy was coming from was that, you know, the big question you have watching this movie is how could anybody believe he was the son? So what the filmmaker is doing by letting him look you in the eye and kind of charm you and tell about the lies that he told other suckers, but he's telling you the truth, is to let him fool the audience too so that they're put into the same position as the family. Of being lied to, but thinking... Of being lied to and charmed and convinced. Because he's a very charming narrator. Well, I I don't... uh, You don't have to buy it. That was just... No, I think that's actually really fascinating though. That, um, But what I was going to say is... I don't think I've ever seen a documentary where the antagonist was present that much to the point where you saw all of his, all of the dynamics of his personality. Yeah. And that was really fascinating because it's so rare you actually get to see that. And so you do see him as a charming person, but you also see yeah. how absolutely insane he is. And, and heartless. Yeah. Well, like and he, heartless. Yeah. He, he, he doesn't think for a second what, what his story is going to do to the family. No, and he not also at says all. at the end, he's like, I love me. I wouldn't change anything. Yeah. Well, in the thin blue line, you know, you see the, you know, the guy who's ultimately, you know. The Errol Morris movie. The Errol Morris yeah. movie about that, about the guy who was convicted of shooting that cop in Texas. You know, you, you see the antagonist a little bit at the end, but yeah, not nearly as deeply as you see the imposter. I mean, in a way, he's like Alex in A Clockwork Orange. Where, yeah, you just say, meet me, I'm crazy. Yeah. I'll have to read that, that essay. Is it an essay or a video essay? It's a video essay. Oh, a video so essay. we can just post that and watch it. Yeah. Yeah. We should, we should get that link. It was absolutely fascinating and horrifying. And the guy now has a family and three kids. A family and 
three, yeah, right? Two and he does a though. wicked Michael Jackson dance. He does a crazy <laughs> good Michael Jackson. Well, I'm, I normally like to just avoid this question, but now I'm actually really curious. Are you a religious person, Rodney? I'm not. Huh. Interesting. Although these last two projects have opened me up a little bit, um, and certainly to um, synchronicity and um, yeah, you know, in things beyond you know, kind of rational rational ideas. I know um, I read a headline of an article that I should have bothered to read all the way through, but didn't. <laughs> but it suggested something like the idea that the world is actually in two dimensions, but. Um, you know, our brains construct a three-dimensional reality for us because it's easier to navigate around. Like a new operating system? On yeah, a well, it's very much about a skin, uh, an operating system, a skin, uh, you know, um, just, a way for us to re- just a way for us to read information that we can't handle um, in the raw form. And that's I actually wonder how some- you can exploit that information. If that's a true, like, if, if that's true... Like, I wonder how, if I started imagining everything is 2D, how I could, like, reach out and grab something that's not in front of me. That'd be quite a trick. I'd be hacking. I'd be a hacker of this 2D world. Be the Matrix to... is coming to mind. Watch that, Dogs. Watch Dogs. <laughs> now on PlayStation. But so your your mind is, 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 is definitely not closed to the unknown, Rodney. Oh, no. Um... Well, you know, just, you know, all sorts of strange synchronicities would happen in the course of, you know, Room 237 that, um, if nothing else, opened me up to ideas about fate and things. You know, often often it's kind of self-centered, but <laughs> what are you going to do? What about you guys? How metaphysical are you? I'm sort of very ha- happily comfortable knowing that whatever it is, if it's chaos or if it's designed... I am cool with it. So that's where I am. I don't think anything is designed, but I also don't believe in fate. But I am definitely not a religious person, and I just, we saw... Um, I tend to agree that, I just to clarify, I also don't really think it is designed, but I also think that I'm not intelligent enough to actually know if I'm right. Like that we saw the... The Dance of Reality, new oh, the Jodorowsky film, yeah. So good. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. And there's this, uh, this won't ruin anything for you, but there's a scene where his... Uh, you can't spoil this movie at all. The father is yelling at him as a child saying, regarding like religion and God, um, you die and you rot in the ground, that there's nothing after this. And that's the exact opposite of the way I was brought up. I was brought up Catholic and... Um, and I'm sorry, I can't speak. This feels very good. Ow. <laughs> um, but it's strange because I I don't believe there's a higher power that's designed anything or controls anything, but when we're talking about things like sleep paralysis and um, you know the way the universe works and what else is happening, like you said, you don't know what else is out there. We're not smart enough to know what else is out there. Um, and so sometimes I go back and I vacillate, I go back and forth between, you know, people tell themselves these things because it makes them comfortable and it's easier to tell a story and share a story, um, that other people have maybe shared with you and kind of find 
this sense of relief in knowing that these things have happened to other people. Um, but then, ow, then I, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but then these things like sleep paralysis, like which we're talking about, I, there is part of me that believes, okay, what else is out there possibly coexisting with us right now? Um, and so I feel, I do feel conflicted sometimes, but I definitely don't believe in a higher power that is controlling all of this. And sometimes I wish I do, did. Sometimes oh, when I'm really stressed there out. There days I just wish I believed in Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, please make that, just flip that switch, please. Life would be so much more, oh, I could just relax. I wouldn't get massaged anymore because I wouldn't be stressed out. I'd be like, cool, Jesus lived. You know, sorry, I interrupted you, Sasha. No, it's okay. I could barely hold that any of that together because <laughs> I can't even focus. <laughs> There's a segment coming up in a show which I always dread called "This is the time where we all flip over," because you know that's they're working on my feet right now, and I can just tell that that's right before the moment, and uh, it's the worst because I love, I love the first half it's also the worst because you know like oh christmas is almost over my birthday is almost over it's like oh i gotta almost not get massage oh it's sunday okay it's like it's like when you begin your second um term as the president (laughs) guys it's not as cool up here as it was down there (laughs) (laughs) now you gotta give love to your front my core is sort of killing me this week, so feel free to work my ribs and stuff like that. Yeah, I've been exercising. Isn't that weird? Now that I'm an audio podcast, I gotta look good. Did I just hear that, uh, Sasha, that you're not flipping over? Not yet. Oh, you're so jealous of you. I didn't know you could say no. Yeah. You know, I'm good. Just keep going. You could, you could actually get it on. That's like telling an architect not to put a roof on your house. (laughs) You know, I don't need a roof. I kind of like the sun. (laughs) Do you, Sasha, you still uh, face down? I am. Let's continue. You don't have to know that, though. (laughs) Stop flipping over unless we all flip over. Well, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. You get a food poisoning pass. You know what you can do next time is take some peppermint essential oil. Peppermint essential oil for food poisoning? Oh, yeah. It will kill it in about five minutes. What? Swear to God. It's now, this is I not have, FDA uh, uh, vouched for information, I listeners. No, but it is absolutely, it's been at least 15 times that that's been successful right in front of my eyes. So, so how much do you take? You take about five drops. Five drops through, like, the just an essential oil. You can just eat these things, right? You don't well, need to, like, get Well, you don't want to get one just from a store. You want to get a good quality one. Like, from a food supplier. Well, like, I, I use Young Living, so you could get it through Young Living. Young Living. Yeah. This show. <laughs> but you want to get one that's food grade, because you want to be able to take it internally. If you go to the store, you're going to find a lot that say not for internal consumption. Don't use those. You can. I have, but I wouldn't recommend it. Um, Especially if you've had food poisoning. <laughs> I mean, because they might have pesticides or whatever in there. So you just don't want to add chemicals to your body. But you take about five drops in a glass of water. You just drink that down, you know, in a minute. And uh, it'll just totally clear your food poisoning in about five minutes. Do you throw it more? Is that why? No, no, no. It it actually just kills all the germs and all the parasites or whatever you ingested. 
it just somehow, and then it settles the stomach, and it's really amazing. So I got to do something cool this week. I want to sort of flip the script a little now that we flipped over and uh, <laughs> talk about the situation I was in and how awesome this new service TaskRabbit is. Uh, there, uh, there's this really cool uh, pop-up scene happening where people are opening pop-up restaurants. Uh, they'll like get a warehouse, or they'll get like an apartment, or they'll find like you know squat somewhere like a, and they'll put in like a really good meal in this space and design the space, and you just gotta sort of find it. So there's this pop-up restaurant, and it's an excellent place to take a date. Uh, and so I took a date there and, uh, we get there and the thing that I didn't know, but apparently everyone else who was going, you know, the other 12 or 15 people who were going this evening did know was that it's BYOB, which makes total sense. You can't, uh, have a liquor license probably if you're only going to be open for like three or four days. Uh, so, and I, it was also seemed like one of these events that this is going to be three hours and... You know, we're at a, a communal table with 15 people we don't know. We're going to want to be drinking some wine. And I, I look at her, I'm like, I didn't know there was BYOB. She's like, you didn't. And I was like, oh, no. Uh, and so pulled out my phone and, uh, and, and used this app called TaskRabbit, which is like the Uber of errands. What? what? No way. But and, did, who told you about this? Well, so my date was like... Uh, you should use TaskRabbit. So I was like, of course. But I was, t- to be fair, I told her what TaskRabbit was in the first place. But, nice. but uh, yeah. <laughs> but she did say, TaskRabbit. And I was like, okay, this is a perfect excuse to see what the technology could do. And uh, put an ad. It took 10 seconds because the app is so perfectly designed. Oh uh, it took 10 seconds uh, to... Uh, say I'm at a dinner it's already service has begun there's nine courses we're on three I need someone here by like the fifth course with two bottles of wine <laughs> I need to go to this wine store in Silver Lake and <laughs> you need to bring this dress in that water and and I said and I was like and I need this done like in tw- like that quickly and because like task grab is a negotiable thing you can then list your job and be like, oh, you need it. I'll pay someone 20 bucks to get me wine. And someone will take three hours to do it for you and be like, great. Or you'll be like, I'll pay you like $65 and you do it now. And then people are like, oh, that's okay. Yeah. And so I uh, posted, posted it. And within a minute had a task grabber say, I got the job. I'm on the way to the, the, the Silver Lake place, oh uh, the, the wine store. And and I'll be at your place in 15 minutes. And I was like, this wow. is so cool. And then 15 minutes later, he's like, I'm outside. And I stood outside. And there's a guy with two amazing bottles of wine that the guy at the store talked him through. And I told him what I was eating. <laughs> like, I'm on a venison plate right now. Halibut is coming out later, you know? And, like, it was amazing. And I've never looked so baller on a date before. <laughs> I was going to say... That must have been impressive. Well, that was the sixty. Was that was the sixty-five dollar rate? Yeah, that was me going like, please make me look good, and I need some wine in me, or I'm gonna feel really like uncomfortable. Wow. So, Task Rabbit, everyone. Love it. Task Rabbit, that will come in handy. I know it. And this is the best part about this experience is I had met this guy before because I've used Task Rabbit twice, <laughs> and the last time I've lived in my place for about ten years now. 
and I have this sprinkler system with this antiquated sprinkle dial system, and I've never had the patience to figure out how to program it, because you have those three buttons, and you, if you think like a typing in a movie search in iTunes is annoying with, you know, one of those Apple remotes, try just programming a rain dial. And uh, I put an ad on TaskRabbit saying, someone come figure this out for me. And for 50 bucks, someone came who had an en a software engineering degree from MIT, oh. who was just out of work. He's like, yeah, I'll do that. And he, he came having memorized the manual that he pulled Jesus. offline. And he, he, he pimped out my sprinkling system. <laughs> I could tell it to jump. It'll ask me how high. Wow. And so it was the same guy. I was like, Peter. He's like, Dave. <laughs> I was like, wow, you're really just taking anything. Okay. I thought like last time would fit your skill set, but this is just why. Rodney, do you uh, use any of these apps? You know, um, I think the short answer is no. Um, although I've been very impressed while watching other people use Waze lately. Yes. But, Which you know, sounds, you know, dangerous too. Yeah, well... And, I'll, and everybody I know who uses it, you know, it's like a, it's a navigating app that you know, tells you the best route to go. And there's a, you can program any, a, a handful of different funny voices to tell you when to turn left and right. But it also works, you know, by creating a community of like sort of generous people who will say, you know, hey, there's an accident at this intersection, avoid it. But um, I've never downloaded it just because I know I'm such a selfish person. I would never in a million years, <laughs> like upload information to it. I would only be a leech on the system. So, uh, Rodney, is there... Uh, are you on social media? Is there anything we can do to follow you and hear more about your work and see what you have to say there? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, and I have a website that I never update. Mm -hmm. um, at Rodney Asher uh, on Twitter is probably the easiest where I'll announce... Um, I think I'll be releasing a, a short that... You know, I, I, sh I filmed about 10 years ago and finally got around to finishing uh, the last couple of months. Uh, which one? Um, it's a very short documentary about um, an obsolete um, electronic instrument. Nice. I'm excited to hear more on Twitter. Ooh. Yeah. And Sasha, you're at Sasha Gray. Are you on Instagram, Rodney? I'm not. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I just can't. There's just so many of those things. Yeah. I don't know. I agree. It's exhausting. Sasha, you're on Instagram? Yeah. Everything's at Sasha Gray. Anything else is fake. That You heard it there. Yo, everything else is fake. Oh, that's a level of success when you've got imposters, though. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, uh, pretty, that's tissues, pretty cool. At Deep Tissues is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So uh, just Facebook slash Deep Tissues. Twitter is at Deep Tissues, Instagram. I'm at David Guy Levy, everyone. Just don't forget to hydrate. <laughs>